Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the Cast of Call, where we talk about all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me is the very sleepy other half of my content. I swear, I'll make it through this cast. I'm, I am awake, and I'm ready to go. Just a long day of work, you know. I just, Usually, this is reversed. Like, usually, you're the one that's, like, wide awake. It's morning, and then I'm the one that's just, like, dragging ass. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I just had, like, 12 hours so today, so I, I'm, Ooh. like, kind of at the end of my my run, and... uh and then it was extra, like, it was, you know how when it gets cold and damp, you kind of get worn out a little bit more than Oh, normal? totally. And it's been, like, raining off and on here, so I just kind of mm. have that, like, sleepy, rainy day vibe going on. Ooh, see, that's, and to me, that's, like, the perfect, like, spooky story kind of <laughs> weather. Like, all I want to do when it's cold is, like, drink hot chocolate and read a scary book or watch a scary movie. Well, uh, listen to a bunch of crime drama projects. Yeah, uh, that'll podcasts. work, too. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Okay, well, before we okay, so our plan for today is we're going to continue our journey through the wastelands with our in-depth review, or I guess not really a review, our in-depth conversation about the wastelands book one, Jake, Fear and a Handful of Dust, Chapter Two. We're gonna finish chapter two. Mm-hmm. Uh Key in a Row, section sixteen through twenty-three. So before we get into all that, let's do our usual reminder of our spoiler policy in case somebody dipped in for the first time on this episode. Uh, so extra caution here with this one, Rachel, because uh, this next uh, uh, chunk of book we're covering is actually a, a hard one not to jump into spoilers. I know. Um, so we will try as hard as we can uh, in post to edit out any spoilers that we accidentally slip in, and we will give you a hard line in the sand. Um, I do warn you, though, this is a little tricky to cover the the next bit of material without jumping ahead so please keep an eye on me rachel because i often meander about and it's really easy to cross the line here no worries and if we get into like major spoiler policy or or major spoilers i will like cut it out and put it at the end of the show after like a hard spoiler wall like if there's like something really quick we'll give you like a 30 second warning but if we're gonna really dig into something which we may when we get to the charlie the choo-choo section i don't know (laughs) let's see i i didn't i ran out of time in writing notes so i'm winging that part so we'll see what happens but if we get into that um then we will put that behind a spoiler like a hard spoiler wall Sounds great. All right. So uh, recap where we left off. Uh, basically, uh, we just had a Eddie World Jake walkthrough where he <laughs> had a bunch of like uh, um, call outs to Eddie's experience in the previous books. And then, bam, Jake wanders off, goes to a bookstore, does some stuff. And then he's now we find him in a field um an abandoned parking lot yeah. where a um quote-unquote delicate testant used to be mm-hmm. and he sees an attractive flower and a shiny thing and he wanders in so <laughs> i mean okay so here we go I, I, i'm gonna boil here this one down go. really fast and then rachel's <laughs> no, gonna back up and she's gonna be like here's all the subtle detail yeah so, basically in a nutshell jake walks into this like alley or i mean abandoned field and there used to be like a uh, uh, a delicatessen there he kind of mm-hmm. sees where the building used to be it's not there anymore there's some like broken stuff on the ground some glass he like trips and falls and like hurts himself a little bit but it could have been worse because he could have fallen in the glass and mm-hmm. then we have this like probably five or six page diatribe on staring into a rose 
and oh, realizing that DJ, the rose you're hurting my heart has well, so okay <laughs> i i i have this like disrespect for roses that is is just inherent to me so oh. i thought the like the whole metaphor of putting all of these universes in a rose and having their sons like floating around inside of it was sort of like the rose tattoo that somebody gets and shows you next to their butterfly tattoo it just kind of like <laughs> makes me cringe a little bit okay it, I, well what's another fa- flower we can just like re- mentally like we can replace it we can do like a cut copy cut replace for you that has the same sort of like layered um sort of petals feel like metaphor. like the, the the night lily or the ghost lily or something like that All right, now been... I, now you're making me google stuff what are you doing to me ghost <laughs> lily you couldn't have there... just said like a daisy all right let's see here what's a ghost lily look like it's mm-hmm. like uh i believe it only grows in swamps and Ooh, it's pretty. um it takes a, it takes a certain type of moonlight for it to grow and like it's a very special thing like So that's my insult here, and it's not really an insult, it's just kind of an irritation, is a rose is like the most average of flowers. Are you saying it's it's the basic bitch of the Yeah, exactly. So like, (laughs) you know, like, what what does a boyfriend do when he's like gotten in trouble with his girlfriend? He goes and gets her roses. Blah. You've just just demeaned the rose. And like, what do we tattoo on our bodies? We tattoo roses for some reason. Blah. You just demeaned the rose. Uh, What do you have (laughs) everywhere in the Safeways, the Walmarts, the gas stations, that guy that comes up to your table while you're eating at a Spanish restaurant trying to sell you something? It's a rose. And like all of these situations have happened so many times that I feel like the rose is probably the tackiest um, universe holder that we could ever put the universe in. Like we are disrespecting the universe as a whole by using a rose as its vessel. I'm I'm just – I know I've thought way too hard about this, but – and that's what kind of irritates me about this little section. Like I know it's super important and like – Jake finding this rose and then seeing the key and there's a ton of foreshadowing here because of the, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but we've the, just the area that he's at the particular location, the former building that we'll find out later he was at and so on. It, it, this is all like really important, but then it's like you just walk through this beautiful ballroom and and the the platter comes out from the waiter and he's like i'm going to serve you this great shit sandwich and you're like what why did you put a shit sandwich in the middle of this beautiful place you know this really interesting story and that's what the rose is to me so wow i did not expect the conversation to go in this direction this is i have the- a lot of feels about the rose i'm sorry no I, I think it's great you know i also you, completely rolled past the, like the last couple of poems that jake was sort of like mulling around in his head mm-hmm. as he left the bookstore which is <laughs> those are actually pretty interesting well um <laughs> are you done with your synopsis because there's still a ton left oh yeah i was just uh i was stopping here so okay, that you okay, could back okay. up and all cover right. all the because you've got four stars on this one <laughs> which means that like my basic coverage is not going to even remotely cut Rachel's teeth on this. <laughs> There's actually some really great stuff in this section. Um, like, yeah, we got to talk a little bit more in depth about this section because there is like basically almost everything that happens in these last few sections, uh, with the exception of maybe the argument that he has with his parents later on, like has pretty intense significance so so like we can't rush through it i I understand that the rose was very distracting but like let's just call it a 
I don't know what well, a different kind of flower, but it has to. The thing is that I think it has to have layers. Like it can't just be like a daisy or a lily because they don't have the like the way that the it blooms is sort of metaphorical about like the layers and layers of universes inside it. So so I don't maybe know. an onion would have been a better choice. Yes, and then we'll like, say the universe a blooming is kind of a onion. Sandwich. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right so um there's a couple of things that we breeze past here first of all when he gets there he kind of has this moment of just total despair because he thinks that this is just another like dead end um and that uh, once again he's gonna get stuck with these voices in his head and going crazy and like all this hope that he has drains away um until he sees this sign and it is a sign that's saying basically that construction is going to happen here. And it's our very first, it's, this isn't that important, but I was very excited to see our very first mention ever of the Sombra Corporation. Yep. So there's a lot of things in this section that we're being introduced to that we don't understand that like actually are going to have civic significance down the line. So like, in the case of the Sombra thing, like I don't want to go too deep into it because we haven't really gone there yet, but like, I just want to flag that this is our first mention of it. Like pay attention for this moving forward. Um, we also get our first mention of Bango Skank, which is I, someone that you put a comment on our Facebook page about. I know. When I saw that, I remembered it. And I, every time I've ever read that name, I think like that would be a great name for an album or a band. Yeah. Like, so as a musician, DJ, make it yeah, happen. This, that, I mean, like, can't you imagine like a trashy punk band called Bango Skank? I feel like it needs to be like a filk band based around <laughs> Stephen King. Right, that would be that'd be pretty cool, <laughs> and it's like super, it's it's super deep. So like someone would really have to go do some research to figure right. out the links. Like and, we wouldn't be talking about no penny wise. Like we gotta like go deep, deep. Into, yeah, yeah, exactly. Into the tomes, okay. <laughs> like we're talking, you know, tears of a dragon, like <laughs> deep, deep stuff. My first album's name is like Twinner or something like that. Oh, yes. Yes, I like it. Well, that actually <laughs> is a perfect segue into Bango Skank. Now, you said you did some research about him. Yeah, so I, I was looking into him because um, the, the name uh, appears throughout the Dark Tower series. Yeah, um, this is not really a spoiler because no, it's, it he's doesn't just a have plot significance. No, he's just a graffiti artist. And like every once in a while, Stephen King will have a character like look at a fence or look at a sign or look at a, a wall or whatever, or look at a bathroom and there'll be like a bango skank tag in there with like a mm -hmm. little note or something jaunty or whatever. And so I try, I tried to do some research to figure out what he was about. And basically there isn't anything on him really other than he's just alluded to in these graffiti signs throughout the uh, uh, dark tower series. So I don't know honestly what his significance is, but when I read the one of the graffiti tags he put in was something about the uh, Crimson King. Yeah. And uh, I was thinking of the stand and remember the like uh, wacky um, uh, like gyrocopter guy. Or not gyrocopter. Uh, no, like the, um, the oh bomber, God, bomb the bomb bomb guy. Yeah, the bombity yeah. bomb guy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, I like the gyrocopter though. That well, is a remix. <laughs> so the same guy that played the bombity bomb guy was a gyrocopter guy in like a in like a post apocalyptic world movie. I think mm. it was like one of the um, a Road Warriors or something. Is that or they maybe they're just both Australian and I'm like really bad well, at. What is his name? He was like Max Hedrum too, yeah, right? Yeah, what he was in his... Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Max yes! Hedrum. He's oh like, my god, he's that guy that you could never put your finger on, but he's like in a ton of stuff. His name's Matt Frewer. Okay, I wouldn't have got that, but uh, I do love Max Hedrum. That was a great, 
great one. Yes. Uh, and basically, like, as soon as you see this guy, you recognize him. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so I was kind of imagining him from the the, uh, the stand of the movie as, like, also being a graffiti artist. Because it just yeah. – the, the line that he delivers in that in the, the one, Bango Skank – uh-huh. Awaits the king. The voice I imagined when I when I read that was was like uh, you know the bombity bomb guy being like yeah. I listen. I like it. That's good casting. So I I don't know. Um, and I, I probably spent too much time thinking about that and not enough time thinking about how I should like roses instead of not liking roses. Well, but, uh, I have a little more context for him if you want to know. If you want, yeah, know. yeah, lay it on me. What do you got? Okay, so like you, like right away, I was like Bango Skank. That like there was something in my lizard brain was like reminded me that I needed to look that up. So I also did some Googling and I found out a little bit more about this character. Like he's the unseen character that as we go through these books, like his name just keeps cropping up. And so like, um, I think there's a certain, like people try to figure out, like he's a very mysterious figure. Um, Stephen King referred to him as a graffiti boogeyman, which I think is really spooky and cool. But the origin of the character actually began with the talisman. Really? So yes, that's why. So I was like, my Twitter album name was like more than just yeah, a good guess. You nailed it. <laughs> so originally, Peter Straub, who wrote the Talisman with Stephen King, um, created the character of Bango Skank for that book, but he didn't end up getting used in the book. So that's why it's sort of just a call out to this character um, by Kings, and then also um, he did eventually use the character of Bango Skank. In a novella called um, The Buffalo Hunters in Houses Without Doors. So mm-hmm. I, I was trying to like get a copy of that today with not having any luck because I wanted to see a little bit more about the character. But if people want to dig a little deeper into Bango Skank, apparently you can if you want to grab a hold of that novella. I mean, there would be a really cool horror plot around like somebody who spray paints like, uh, I don't know, murals of walls and then the murals come to life and eat people or something like that. Or you like suck them into a... Um, what, uh, what dreams may come style <laughs> reality, Ooh. you know, only like a dangerously bad, you know, and so like the watercolors and the paintings are like dissolving around you and you're like falling into this swamp of creatures and, and despair. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Sounds like the end of the, what is that one where they end up in the painting? Uh, well, that that was uh, what dreams may come is what I was thinking of. But is well, there there's one? a horror movie. It's like an Italian one, the beyond where oh, they end up in the like the despair painting at the end. <laughs> anyway, I, oh, <laughs> we are I, off track today. Way off track. Okay, so okay. Uh, tell us about the poem that also shows up here at the beginning. Okay, well, we the thing is, is what we see on the sign along with Sombra, which I was very excited about, is there is a reference to this being built as the Turtle Bay condominiums. And um, like right away that like, even though, I don't, as far as I know, Jake doesn't actually know that's that poem that we know, the the one about the turtle of the enormous girth, like that right away tells him he's in the right place. But then as he continues to look, that poem actually appears on the sign. The one about the turtle who has the, the, the holds the world on his earth, on his back. And basically we're, what we're seeing is actual mythology from Midworld showing up in this, in this empty lot. So what I thought was going on here with that was they kind of emphasize a little bit on the key and the voices yeah. um, inside of his head that uh, him and Roland were like sort of mind melding a little bit there. Oh, 
because to me i thought it was he was like desperately looking for a sign and like he literally found a sign oh maybe maybe you're right i I just um this whole little section there's like a random like internal voices kind of talking to him Mm -hmm. while he's like looking at the rose like telling him like don't worry about it you know no one's gonna step on the rose it has its own defenses and like kind of whispering into him that the key will calm his mind you know and then well, there like, definitely is some back and forth that's and that's happening. almost it felt like roland was like sort of you know they were talking to each other sort of is or am i, I, mean, I don't know if it? it's literally roland or if it's the voice of Ka. okay and then on the voice of roland and then who is the voice of the rose because like well i was I imagining the- and it was like roland's inner inner brain but then like it's like the all all powerful narrators like stepping in to be like, "Hey, <laughs> well, I think it's the Godhead." Yeah, yeah, but I mean, okay, but uh, so, but, I mean, not to go too far ahead, but like, yeah, this doesn't happen very often. Well, I think that there's a lot of significance. Again, I mean, we're gonna skip way ahead if we get into this. Yeah, yeah, let's not. Okay, um, there, let's... I mean, not. I mean, way ahead in this section. Like, I want to get into actually. There's some really cool callbacks about the rose. Okay, but let's so, quickly let's quickly set let's we will get into that. So okay. let's let's back up just a little bit. Let's talk a little bit more about what's happening in this lot before we get to the rose, and then I promise we are going to go there. <laughs> um, okay, so the other thing is he sees another sign, and this one reads that it's the Tom and Jerry's Deli. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Yes. Um that's like well that's in the future right isn't that the deli where they uh spoiler one two three four serve people i think you're thinking of um uh dixie pig oh dixie pig okay i'm so the reason tom and jerry sounds familiar to you is because that is the deli that eddie goes to in his dream oh really yes so now we have not only is eddie dreaming about jake jake is going to places in eddie's dream you know what i mean Okay, that's actually pretty cool. Um, yes, and adding to that is the fact that when he falls over the, the fence that you talked about, there's some broken glass. He has this sort of instinctual knowledge that the, the glass comes from a window where there was meat hanging in it. Yes, um, and that's what I thought they were talking about, the deli. Like, I thought that mm-mm. was alluding to the other deli. Mm-mm-mm-mm. What it is, because I went back and looked, is what Jake's or what Eddie sees in his dream. So... We know that Eddie is dreaming about things that Jake has seen, but now we can see that there's actual give and take where even though Jake has never seen this deli, he knows that that glass used to be part of the display and that what that display looked like was what was in Eddie's dream. Wow, that's actually surprisingly awesome. (laughs) See, there's some cool stuff in here. You have to dig a little deep, but I swear (laughs) to God, I'm going to blow your mind in a couple of minutes. Okay, Okay, that was pretty good. All right, so... Um, so he sees the rose, he kind of stares at it for a little bit. He has this sort of like moment where the rose sort of overpowers his world somehow. And he falls back and like, then he's out for five hours and he wakes up and like his books are scattered across the parking lot or, you know, empty lot. And, uh, he's like, looks over and he's lucky that he didn't hit this like sharper thing that could have really hurt him. And, uh, he grabs his books and out of the books falls the key, and he like he's looking at the rose, and the rose doesn't look cool anymore. It's not like shiny and doesn't have floaty things around it. And he's like kind of going back and forth. Did this really happen? And then when the key comes out, he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, maybe this did happen. And then that's when the 
I guess you're saying the Godhead <laughs> spoke to him and told him that the key keeps his brain quiet. Yes. <laughs> but let me go back a little bit. <laughs> I promise it's worth going back. Okay. No, no, it's good because um, <laughs> when I, because there's so much description in these. Yeah. Like I kind of like, like check out. Yeah. I sort of start zoning because mm-hmm. I just pick up the key points and it's like, uh-huh, 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 parking lot, parking lot, parking lot, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. No, no, um, no, there's some cool stuff in here. So, first of all, I want to talk about, like, there's so much about this section that is about, like, um, synchronicity, right? Like, we have the two different versions, or the t- we have um, the deli being seen from two different perspectives. We have all these things where we're getting two sides to it, right? Well, there's okay. another sort of synchronicity here and that's around the sense of power that he feels emanating from this part of this uh, abandoned lot. What this ba- basically, okay. So this calls to mind the last doorway that we encountered in the book. And that was the, in the clearing of Shardik's den. Do you remember there was that black power box that yeah, had yeah. this like magnetic power to it that drew you to it? Yeah. Okay, well, that's similar in some ways to what Jake is describing when he comes to this parking lot. Like, he feels this, he talks about, like, being pulled to it like metal shavings to to true north, right? And that's kind of the same sort of feeling that they had when they were, when um, Eddie approached the machine. But that's kind of where the similarities end, and they become opposites, basically. So, um... Like, okay, so when Eddie approaches the box, he describes this sound of machinery rumbling and 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 groaning on and on. And there's this, like, rough undertone to the sound, like a desperate thudding beneath the hum, like the arrhythmia of a diseased heart. So, and then when he presses his ear to it, he, like, has, he goes into that trance, you remember? And he talks about how, like, it is all as silent in the halls of the dead. Yeah, how, yeah, I do remember that. Yes. So it's very, like, it's, this thing represents, like, just death and, like, corruption almost. And then this one's the opposite. It represents all yes. life and, like, happiness and whatever. Exactly. When Eddie, when Jake is approaching this, he, you know, he hears, like, this wonderful high humming instead of this low grindy humming that is, like, beautiful and, like, the like these natural sounds like wind on a plane and it's just this beautiful enchanting alluring sound that literally turns into a choir singing of angels singing hosannas <laughs> yeah that's it's that was like kind of beautiful and harmonious versus this other machine which is like you know breaking down and just grinding of gears and like completely lacking in any sort of like magic or harmony so then to take your metaphor like to the next level as eddie and jake spiral around each other's internal dreams and each one is like representing the good and the dark are you basically saying we have like a yin yang sort of thing because like eddie's definitely the darker character Hmm. of the two and jake's the lighter character of the two and like the more innocent whereas eddie's the less you know naked gunfight innocent (laughs) so (laughs) so i mean between the two of them like that actually plays well as almost like that's interesting as you know because well i didn't get the dream stuff that you got and so as soon as you started telling me about the dreams touching like that Mm -hmm. i almost visualized them as two you know because they keep using uh, uh raindrops 
and droplets as a metaphor and a description in these. And then you like think about two drops pushed together mm. and like that's Eddie and uh, uh, Jake, like basically forced into a little vial spinning around each other. And one is holding or, you know, has the darkness in him and one has the lightness in him, I guess. Interesting. But I mean, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I was, I went a different way, but that's really interesting to me. It was more like, I felt like he was drawing a distinction between the purity and harmony of a natural sort of doorway versus the the dead, growling emptiness of the mechanical, unnatural one. Yeah, maybe. And that, like, it kind of gives us some insight into the people who created it, like, and how they bro- basically break nature with these inventions and, like, ultimately lead to this cataclysmic event, whatever it was, that made the world move on. So yeah. with with that idea, hold that in your mind and then okay. think about this. So like the whole um, cause is a balance, right? Yes. So ah, I see what you're saying. So the balance is that if you have a certain amount of weight placed on one side of the scale, you must have an equal and opposite amount of weight placed on the other side of the scale. And your um, your metaphors are actually like sort of those two thumbs on the scale one being the dark you know darkness and mechanicalness of that and the other one being the blooming nature and pollen and sunshine on the opposite Mm -hmm. side and then the two characters that we're using to sort of describe these two things are through the through the eyes of a drug addict who like who's now a gunslinger but has gone about that by many hardships and wrong turns and then through the like tumultuous life of a, a young person, like trying to find his way in the world and and grow up to be a you know a productive member of society, I guess. So like the two of them are like they are like yin and yang. Yeah. And then I guess that well, the problem is is like how does that work with um with Roland? and Mm. so on because you know i mean he's the the ultimate gray area right (laughs) yeah and that's oh yeah that's where my entire uh two-side analogy falls apart because there's a lot of middle i get kind of almost like i know these books are like heavily influenced by tolkien and so there's almost kind of like an industrial versus natural thing that's happening here okay in my opinion um science versus like mysticism Specifically, like, industry versus mystery, but also science, yeah. Unless, like, I mean, alchemy is where that gets a little fuzzy, right? Yeah, because alchemy is mystic science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. See, so there's more here than you think, and there's still more to come. <laughs> um, let me see if there's anything else before in this section before we move on. Okay, yeah. So, obviously, you mentioned he finds the key. This is another one of the major connections that falls into place in this section. Um, this one's probably the most obvious in this in the chapter because we know based on that that like this key is a mirror to one that Eddie is currently carving over in Midworld because of the detail of the special S shape at the end. Um and because there is a literal cry of triumph from the choir when he touches it. <laughs> <laughs> hit, hit, nudge nudge. <laughs> um Oh go sorry. ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, so Jake wakes up um, you know, a little bit bloody. It's been five hours. He kind of comments on like how he's really lucky that no one stole his watch or any of his stuff while he was out. And like that, that maybe hints to the Rose's protection. He has the internal voice and dialogue with the, the Rose about it being fine, finds the key. And then he heads home and he realizes that he's been gone for quite a while. And like, okay, he was wait. a 
I gotta stop you again. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> this is the last time. Oh, wait, no, is that true? Yes, this is the last time before he goes home. I promise. Okay, so let's talk about the Bloomin' Onion real quick before I move on. Okay, okay. Okay, so this one's a little less obvious, but really cool. Okay, I think. I, now I'm building it up. the grass change in purple and the speckled It does thing? have to do with the purple grass. I didn't get that. Like, that that was just like, what? And then, like, the same thing with the pollen and the, the planets. Like, I understand the planets metaphor and the pollen, I guess. But, like, right. is... Okay, ex- explain, because maybe you're going to enlighten this for me. <laughs> okay, cool. So, basically, so the other connection that falls into place in this... In order for us to explore this, we have to go back, all the way back, back to the gunslinger. Okay. Okay. So on the super long, endless night that Roland spends mm. in palaver mm. <laughs> with Walter, um, Roland gets a vision. Do you remember this? I vaguely remember a vision, okay. and I had some cockamamie idea about what it meant. Okay, cool. Um, so in this, in this palaver, Walter asks Roland to describe what he sees in the vision and Roland describes, like at first he kind of struggles to, and then he sort of like slowly unveils what he sees. And there are a couple details from what he sees that actually apply to the rose. First of all, he talks about, he describes seeing this white welcoming light, the same welcoming white light that has been drawing Jake to this place like he keeps talking about like the feeling of yes the feeling of white the feeling of rightness mm-hmm. so that's the same thing but what's even more interesting is that when roland is describing this vision to walter he describes a single blade of grass but one detail about the grass is a little different and that it is a purple blade of grass really yes so much like the grass that the rose is currently sitting in the, his, in his vision, he of the tower, he is looking at this purple blade of grass that then they describe being cut down and how the corruption of that single blade of grass, like a worm of corruption, could seep through worlds and may have already begun to seep through worlds. And that is basically what made the world move on. And so now we're seeing that this tower vision that he has directly ties to the rose. And the fact that the evidence of that is that it ties back to his vision of the purple grass. So then in his vision, the tower is where the rose is and the tower is surrounded by purple grass. I don't know. But what I think what they're trying to say basically is like, he has this visions of worlds within worlds within worlds. And then we see this rose that is full of, all of the suns and all of the universes and all of everything is, is revealed to um, Jake while he's looking at this rose. So you can draw your own conclusions, but the point is this has all been set up from that vision. Hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll buy that. I'll, I'll bite off on that. I might have to go back and reread that little section. Yes. <laughs> uh, one more time, just so I can hold that little nugget of truth in my head while I continue on forward. Well, it's making me realize I really need to go back and like, it's almost like dazzle camouflage. There's so much thrown at you in that section yeah. that like subtle details get lost. Like I remember the blade of grass, but things like it being purple didn't really feel like it had that much significance, but I'm guessing there's going to be breadcrumbs throughout these series that refer back to like, what is maybe one of the most important conversations of the series. Now I got a question for you. You know, Stephen King always goes back with some of these things and like doctors them up a little bit. Is this a original or is this a docker up? 
Like the, Ooh, let me you know what I'm saying? Because that seems so, um, so poignant and, and tight to the cause that like, that's almost like the lack of paper thing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Let me pull up the side by side comparison. That's a very good question. And if I were Stephen King and I had the opportunity to go back and like check some more boxes, I'd be like, Ooh, drop a little bit of this here. Purple. That's not something someone would remember. Drop a little bit of that there, you know? Okay. Nope. That is not in the revised, ver- that's not from the revised version. Oh, so it's, it is OG. It is. Yeah. It is original canon. It's canon. Nice. <laughs> okay. Uh, that then? Yeah, so um, the only other thing we didn't really talk about was that in, when the rose is, like, revealing itself to him, the magic is revealing itself to him, like, he's surrounded by faces everywhere. That is terrifying. There that is all some the... Lovecraftian shit. I, I know that they're supposed to be benevolent, but that shit is scary. That reminds me of, there was an episode of the 80s version of The Twilight Zone where, like, okay. there were faces in the walls. Like, no. <laughs> no. That's too scary. I can't mess with that. Well, no, no. so it's like, I thought the faces were in, like, a pile of bricks. And... Well, I think they're just, like, everywhere, right? Well, so there's one specifically, the the girl with the scar from... Allie. Yep, that uh, was killed, that Roland killed the entire town. Like, yeah. the w- way I envisioned that was, like, that was the spirits of the entire townsfolk, like, swarming up on him as almost like a ominous thing, like, this could happen to you sort of thing. And then Jake was, like, linking that to... You know, Ali specifically, but like sort of seeing that in the in the uh, the bricks and the dust and whatever. Ugh. Did you ever see Return to Oz? Yes. It reminds me of like when he's like visiting the Gnome King and there's like all the faces in the wall. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> too much childhood trauma around this. I mean, they do the same thing in uh, the the rock people in um, Never Ending Story. Yes. But and like that that's it. sort of what I was visualizing was the Never Ending Story like rock baby. Yeah. Hmm. Creepy. Mm. Uh, yeah, so this part gives me the crease. The other thing is, is that Jake is struck by this, like, deep, instinctual need and drive to protect the Rose. And by this, so that by the se- end of the section, like, he has, like, full-on tower fever. Like, tower you know fever. how, like, like Eddie had to be converted to the religion of towerosity? Like, Jake is full convert. Like, he needs no, he's so in. Take me to the tower, Mart. A hundred percent. And, like, this whole section has a very, like, divine intervention vibe to it. Like, but instead of a burning bush, we have the singing rose. (laughs) What I'm saying is, like, delusions of grandeur. Moving on. (laughs) Okay, so now we get into some stuff that I actually, like, uh, paid a little more attention to because it's more fun. This was way less interesting to me. (laughs) So, Jake realizes that it's it's getting to be like four o'clock or five o'clock and that like he's been basically truant from school all day and someone's probably reported to his parents. And so he decides to head home. He gets home and his dad has the the magic dust. <laughs> you know, he's been taking the magic dust, which oh, I yes. assume is, is cocaine or meth or whatever the t- TV executives did. Cocaine, my friend. And uh, uh, mom is like dazed and like a, a little bit bleary eyed from upper like, for daddy values. downers for mommy yep and, and uh he comes on strong like jake's dad like rolls in with like uh where have you been what are you doing and instead of jake cowering or um 
or, or kowtowing to him as he normally would, he actually like gets a fire in his eye and like pushes his dad back. And he goes like, like all full Roland on. Yeah, him. exactly. Like he he totally mans up to this situation, and both of the parents are are sort of like taken aback. And there's this this sort of dynamic shift right there from Jake being the passive um, oppressed kid to almost like being the man. Mm-hmm. And he's also the only one with like a, a clear mind at this time. And he's able to retort back to his, his father and say, listen, I don't have anything to say to you right now. Um, why don't you go to bed and we'll talk about it in the morning? <laughs> this is a sassy 12 year old. And that's like, damn. <laughs> that's like uh, when your little nephew or niece for, finally learns to say like, I, uh, because I said so. And you're like, no, no, don't ever use that one on me. Uh, and so like Jake basically is like push off, yo. And he like walks to his bedroom and like settles in. And at this point, his parents are kind of like bickering and arguing. And the nanny has stayed like a little bit later than her normal schedule. And Jake's like thinking internally, like, okay, his parents can't handle this sort of confrontation. This is the first time this has ever happened. They don't really know what to do. So they're not going to talk to me. They're going to send the nanny in. And then bam, the nanny rolls in with like a sandwich and cake and some something to drink. And Jake's just kind of like giggling. And then they start having this dialogue. And it's funny because I never really thought about the perspective of the paid help taking care of someone else's <laughs> kid until this dynamic sort of played out on, on the page. And it, it's interesting because she's like, look, you're right. Your parents basically told me to come in here and talk to you. You can tell me something if you want. You don't have to tell me anything if you don't want to. I don't care. I get paid for this. You know, whatever. <laughs> and, right. And Jake's thinking like internally, he's thinking, well – you know what? She's closer to a friend than anybody else I can think of that because, is, like, yeah. she actually has some feelings for me and understands what my favorite things are. Like, when she comes in, she doesn't mm-hmm. come in with, like, something sh- shitty. She gets him, like, his favorite bologna and cheese sandwich, which is, like, a, a strange thing to have your favorite, but whatever. And, like, he's excited about that. And so then they start kind of, like, talking and – and Jake, even though this is like him supposed to kind of open it up to a friend, he still makes some crap up. So he's like, ah, oh, you know, I had um, I had anxiety over this hard testing season, you know. And then he he basically plays like um, translator through her to his parents, say like, uh, you know, tell tell dad I'm sorry, you know, and 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 that I respect him, and and tell mom I'm doing okay, and this cut isn't bad, and. Those are the things that their his parents just like arbitrarily wanted to hear and then they have just them go to away. Hear that and then they didn't whatever. actually want to care about it, and because they were forced to care about it, it turned this into a different situation. So then she comes back and like they're they're talking again, and when he mentions the the fear of um of his test reports, she's like, oh, just a second, and she rolls out and brings back in his crazy man paper. <laughs> <laughs> and like a note from his his uh, um his language teacher, I think is French, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so oh, it's his English. Well, it's French his teacher French teacher nice te- note, and yeah. the English teacher writes the grade. Right? So the, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. So the the French teacher uh, left him like a nice little note saying like We hope you're doing well. Like many kids get stressed out over this. You're a great kid. We look forward to seeing you back. And like Jake really gets like the feels about this. And then 
there's a little arrow at the bottom of the note that's like flip me over and he flips it over and it's like a letter from his english teacher oh my god and it's it's so (laughs) great like okay so if you remember the note it's like uh, basically it's a, a repetitive this is the truth statement with um uh, uh visualizations of you know trains and the tower and roland and the gunslinger and so on and the teacher just writes this like praising review of how he's taken what would normally be a childish and, and poorly um uh put together style for someone his age and has done the best she's ever seen so yeah. much so that she'd like to have it published. And then as a, a side note at the end, she's like, just so you know, I think you left school because you were afraid that I wouldn't understand your greatness. That part killed me. <laughs> and I understand your greatness completely. And I hope this puts your mind at ease. And you're just like, what? Wow. What? Wow. <laughs> and, and, and Jake, like, he takes his he, he takes his paper and looks at this and he just can't stop laughing. So, like, and he's laughing so hard that, like, people are coming in and out of the room. His dad comes in to, like, give him a, an apology. The nanny's just standing there, and, like, he's barely containing himself with the laughter as he, like, glances at this paper, breaks out laughing, glances at the paper again. Mm-hmm. So then there's this uh, – so we have that, like, kind of fun bit, and then we have this dynamic where his father comes in and apologizes, and it, Jake's, like, internally thinking, okay <laughs> – this guy, I feel bad for him because he's probably never had to apologize to anybody in his entire life, and he's really bad at this. <laughs> and then, like, and then uh, his mom comes in, and like, it's the same thing. It's like she almost is really bad at expressing love for anything in yeah. her life, and so that's it's the same sort of like awkward, like I know I'm supposed to pat you on the shoulder here thing, and then she walks out and. <laughs> And Jake the whole time is still like sort of focused in on his his paper and that um, that no one thought he was crazy. And, and and so this this whole scene and I mean I probably made it I made it three times longer than the rose scene and I'm sorry, but, <laughs> but it just okay. like it touched all the stuff and then like for him to like come out of this with an A plus and like everybody patting him on the shoulder and telling him how good a job he did and for him to man up it's like this is. Yeah. This is Jake going, you know, to he just beat the mini boss and he's like leveled up to the to the next stage, you know. Yes. Yeah, this section has a handful of kind of interesting things. Like uh like you said, you know, up until this point we since we've been reunited with Jake, he's basically been broken, right? And in this moment we get a refresher on who Jake really is, like what he's really made of, like this steely is like much more steely, much more like Roland much more gunslinger than he is like his own father as the way, you know, we see that in the way that he reveals, you know, the way his eyes can reveal his like sheer will and like be very intimidating. Um, So I wonder too, um, he gets the key right before this. So I almost felt like he went from a state of being broken to be empowered because he has the key in his possession. Yeah. And so Part of this is him leveling up, but it's almost like he's leveling up because he got a class A armor upgrade. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think probably, yes. I think, well, I mean, he's been given sort of this, like, divine mission, right? He discovered some diamonds. He bought a new sword. 
and like now he's badass. <laughs> Basically, I mean, well, I mean, there's some interesting like kind of symbolism or metaphor or whatever you want to call it in the way that he like his father grabs at him and he like tears his jacket off, his like school blazer off, <laughs> throws, and, yeah, just throws yeah. it out. It's like... And it's like you know he's got he's been trying to like hide behind this identity as like this perfect student this kid not normal not going crazy like desperately trying to hold it together and now he's like mentally and emotionally shedding all of that in this scene like he's disconnecting from his family and like recognizing that like he is emotionally moving on um at the same time that he like basically sheds the skin of this jacket and then in the process gets called crazy which was the thing that he was most afraid of but and then he takes it like a pro and then he just yeah because it doesn't matter because he's found his he's found his path again. Um, so that's really interesting. The other thing there's like a little detail in here that we kind of breezed by that I thought was was just like another burn on Elmer. Like, uh, I mean, bummer that his name is Elmer, but whatever. Uh, but like there, when he gets off the elevator, he notes that like his basically his father is kind of dressed like a cowboy. He's wearing jeans and like cowboy boots. He takes on these hyper masculine tropes like militarism and now a cowboy, but it's all like in an effort to sort of feed his ego and his vanity as opposed to the functional ways in which Roland, his other father figure, wears them. And it's just like another distinction between Elmer and Roland. The description of his father, um, and uh, is there really such a thing as people just having a letter for their middle name? Uh, I think so. Thank you. Okay, because but that is another thing. Like it's another, like it's ju- there's an appearance of something with nothing behind it. And maybe we should mention that because I just mentioned it without even giving anybody any description. That's so okay. uh, in the poem, um, he uses Roland, and the teacher was so intrigued by the character Roland that she uh, referenced the poem, and she went and looked up her his dad's name. And mm-hmm. his dad's middle initial is R. And so one of the things Jake does after the apology is like, hey, just out of curiosity, what's your middle name? And he's like, my middle name is just R. There is no middle name. I'm like, uh, um, <laughs> uh, Her- uh, what was he named? The president. Truman. Yeah, S. Truman. Like, it's just, it's just an S, you know, no worries. And like, he's like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> and his dad's like, what? And then just like walks off. It, it's great. Uh, yeah. I, but the so the description of his dad, uh, cowboy boots, straight, upright black hair, which uh, that is like what a, a buzz cut maybe. Yeah, like a flat top kind of thing. Yeah, yeah okay. just sort of like that military cut. I always okay. So I, I know I'm supposed to listen to the description of the characters. I don't know if they told us that he had a straight black flat top before. I well, they did in this scene. I know, yeah. but I don't know before. And a lot of times, uh-uh. like whenever I read the character, I actually sort of ignore the physical descriptions of him and just put in whatever I think it should be. <laughs> well, I just pictured him as more of like a gray hair. You know, I wasn't expecting like, but I guess he would have some like, um, just for men black hair. You know what I mean? I like pictured that. so you know the guy from uh, you. You ever watch UHF? A million years ago. So you know the the uh, opposing television station news manager. UHF. He, I kind of pictured his dad as that because, like, it's um, a sort of clueless, angry. This is how it's done. Uh, businessman running a, a ad agency or a television channel or something like that. Oh, it's Kevin McCarthy. Okay, I recognize this guy. 
You're, he was I, like in um uh, uh Invasion of the Body Snatchers and yeah, Interspace. Yeah, he's in a ton of stuff. Yeah, I can see this for him. Like, it's the same kind of. There's a particular sort of like upper crusty dickhead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's either this or you go straight to like Mad Men and pick like the the shittiest person and be like, that's right. Him. Um, so, okay, so okay. continuing on. So now uh, Jake's gotten rid of everybody. His room is clear, and he's got his two books that he picked up at the bookstore, and he yeah. grabs Charlie the Choo Choo, which, choo-choo. by the way, his um, nursemaid uh, told him this is her favorite book when she was a kid. Yikes. <laughs> and then, like, okay, so Charlie the Choo Choo, um, I'm not going to dive too deep because they basically read the whole book to you. But it, it's it's about a guy who works with a train, and the train starts talking to him. Eventually, the train gets sidelined for a newer train. And then after that train somehow fails, possibly from sabotage. Sabotage! Uh, I'm calling shenanigans on Engineer Bob! Engineer Bob brings back Charlie the Choo Choo, who wins the day, and then is left to hold kids hostage in a theme park for like the rest of their lives in this weird, creepy way. And so the story on its face is supposed to be happy. It's supposed to be the tale of like a choo-choo who gets down on his luck because he was doing good. And then something replaces him and then finds his niche and takes, takes back over a winning hand. But it's almost like, and they mention this in uh, Jake, like kind of has like commentary running as yeah. this entire book is going. He's like, first of all, authors are jerks. They literally play on these poor kids' emotions. And like the last <laughs> thing the kid will remember is the happy ending. He's going to remember that horrible time when he, the train was sidelined. And then the train's like crying in a parking lot, you know, where they park trains off in the distance. Right. And, and like contemplating death, you know, which is really Crying, dark for oily a kid. tears. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jake's like, yeah, you, you cry your crocodile tears. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. like, it's like, whoa. And, and so it's like, uh, have we, okay, hold on. Um, spoiler alert, just in case. Okay. Uh, has Blaine been mentioned yet anywhere? Well, he refers back to another train that is in his folder where he, or Blaine, right? Yes. Yeah. And so in his um in his like uh story, he mentions Blaine is is a liar and that is the truth or something of that nature. All right, so he's talking about the train, and the train is like sad and crying and contemplating death in this parking lot. And instead of Jake being like, Oh, that poor train, he's like, Oh, you know, crocodiles cry tears too. And like, this is kind of a reference back to the train in his story, Rachel. Yes, it is. And that's all I want to say about that. Yes. There's, um, he takes, he, after he reads through it the first time, he goes ahead and like reads through it a second time and pulls out a handful of, of phrases that stand out to him. And there are some here that like right away, I'm like, Oh, Susanna, Midworld, all these things really land. But I now I because we went through all this stuff with Eddie's dream, like I, now I'm wondering how much of this we're gonna refer back to and be like, oh, I thought I understood the significance of these things and I didn't. Like I don't understand the part about like uh, the first real friend he had since his wife died long ago in New York. Yeah, that's we- super weird and dark, right? And like, why would you throw that in a kid's story? Yeah, the small gruff voice. Like, I know these are all things that are going to matter. Mr. Martin, we know what that is. But I just, I feel like I want to just take a moment to be like, okay, let's pay attention to these lines. Because some of them, it it feels like the same mix of things that, that, 
or in the dream that made me think like, you know, with my hubris, oh, I understand all of this and only to go back and reflect on it and be like, oh, no, no, there was a lot of stuff here that I misinterpreted. And I wonder, I feel like there's a good chance that that same thing is happening with these things that like King is taking a moment to not just like, yes, he technically highlights these, but like, I feel like King is being like, here you go. Here's some breadcrumbs for you. Well, you know, the darkest part of the Charlie the Choo Choo story is, right? What's that? The darkest part is actually like when the train is going really fast. And uh-huh. they're like, how can a train like this get enough coal to do that? And Bob like thinks internally, the train is feeding itself. Oh, God. And you're like, what? Also, what happened to the animals that were living in it? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I like it. And so, like, when when they, like, that's a really strange and purposefully felt line to, like, drop in there. Little did he know the train is feeding itself. And it's like, what? What is it feeding itself? How is it getting this extra power? And then, like, almost to accent that, like, when uh, Charlie's, like, reward is to be sent to this children's place, they're like, you know, Bob and Charlie don't say much and don't shine as bright as they used to. But those kids, they're smiling. And Jake's like, yeah, they look like they're they're in fear for their life and they're in a psychotic break. You know, and it's like, whoa. So he's feeding on like the souls of the children. And and that's the thing, too. So Charlie's most epic and award winning thing was like going to visit this guy's daughter. And then his power up is going to visit this guy's daughter. Mm. <laughs> Have you seen the drawing that was from the first edition of the book of the Charlie the Choo Choo? No, is it creepy? As it's all get out? super creepy. Let me find it for you, and I'll I'll put it in the show notes for our listeners if you have not seen it. And I'm gonna send you Deej. They used it for um the cover of the Charlie and the Choo Choo book, but it's not. White as creepy as the original that was in the book. So let me find that. Well, you're looking for that. One other thing I wanted to talk about really quick, and I kind of I actually blazed over this, and I probably shouldn't have. Um, One last thing that Jake sort of thinks internally before he starts reading the Charlie Choo Choo book is that like he basically loves his parents, yeah. But that there's a time for parents, and there's a time for other things, and it's it's sort of like that's his last like. Severing. He's detaching. Yeah, yep, exactly. He's like cutting the the string that attaches him to what would otherwise be uh, his normal life. Whoa! Yeah, look at those kids. So yeah, th- that picture. <laughs> the kids like have they have a face that at first glance looks like it's almost of joy and happiness, but at a closer glance, you start to realize that like one kid's tearing at the hair of another kid, and the kid here is like almost like lost and like donkey uh honking in the corner and like there's a mad tv looking kid here next to a girl that's sort of screaming and he's holding a hat that he's like so longingly look looking at it looks like a wizard's hat and like all these kids and then you have the the conductor with his like push button hat just being like yeah like look at charlie's eyes oh my god isn't those, he creepy? And those teeth, like there's so much gum in that teeth. Yeah, oh. too much gum. Too much, much gum. gum. Not enough. <laughs> oh. 
so it is. It's actually really cool that uh, Charlie the Choo Choo got broke down fully in the in the book, and like Jake is not having it. He no. he knows this is just like a creepy bad dude. Uh, so after that, like uh, Jake basically just uh, lays down, and has some trouble going to sleep, and then uh, he can sort of feel the uh, craziness that his his like uh, other person out or other versions of him like talking to him as he drifts off. That's it, right? So there is one last thing. So he does have the voices do. He's like finally going to bed, and he's so relieved. Everybody's out of his freaking room. Um, but unfortunately, the voices come back, which at first he's just filled with despair. Again, he wants to scream because he like had this sweet relief. And he, but it occurs to him, like maybe he, there's the something key. he can do about it. So he goes and he gets the key out of his pants. And the minute he touches them, this sounds really bad. The, <laughs> <laughs> the voices go away. But in it, like, and it's a huge relief and he's able to go to sleep. But before he does, he, he instinctually kind of just says, like, tell him to touch the key and the voices will go away so and who's he talking to right well we've had a little bit of back and forth in this section where like we know that there is some sort of psychic connection between eddie and and jake um and so presumably we're hoping that that message may be finding its way through the rose telegram and is going to make its way to eddie well, and Eddie, Eddie seems to have the most shine out of any of them as well with his like yeah. dead brother talking to him all the time and yeah. him seeing like uh, slain uh, ma- mafia characters and so on. Yeah. And, and like keys that he needs to make. And, yeah. Yeah. And fire ghost and keys. Ghost keys, whatnot. <laughs> so, yep, we are. So what do you think overall of this chapter? Uh, so I thought the beginning was boring and I thought the end was great. And it sounds like you're the opposite. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think any of it was boring. I just there this. I felt like one half of the chapter, the sections were like very deep, and the other one was like a little more like then this happened, then this happened. I mean, it's it's all leading towards something I really am looking forward to. So I I don't dislike any of it, but I wasn't as like ooh connections being made in the later stuff. I stand 100 percent by all my rose statements. And I challenge you (laughs) listeners to find pictures of roses that are not tacky or, um, or inherently, uh, distasteful because roses suck. I had no idea how strongly you felt about roses. But I'm not buying it. I I, I don't think so. So what's your favorite flower, DJ? What's your favorite Um, flower? Well, so it's, it's sort of a nuisance flower, but my, one of my favorite is the trumpeter vine. So it's a, it's one of those vines that eats houses. Oh, um, but it's beautiful. The flowers are, they're like, oh, they're they basically shaped like really a trumpet. Pretty. And That's so like bummer. the juxtaposition of like this beautiful flower that's like on one side, it's beautiful. And on the other side, it's eating your house and like crawling into your <laughs> vents and destroying things is just like, it's, it's such a, such a cool uh, plant. Yikes. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. What about you, Rachel? Move on. What's your favorite flower? My favorite flower is the stargazer lily. Ooh. They're like the ones, the big pink ones with the polka dots inside. Mm Mm-hmm. I love pink and orange and green together. I just love them. And they smell so good. So for next episode, we are going to move moving on to chapter three. Finally. I know. It doesn't sound like a lot, but it actually, I mean, we've been through a lot. 
So uh, this one we're going to be going, I, I think we're going to start doing bigger chunks because we've got to get through this dang book. Um, I want, <laughs> like, we've got so many more to go. So 500 one, episodes later. <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, we are in book three, but. We're making progress. It's we're fine. making progress. Okay. So we're going to be reading The Wastelands, book one, Jake, Fear and a Half Left Us, chapter three, Door and Demon, one through 15. Um, so I don't have any connections to the Stephen King universe this time because, I mean, really, I was thinking about doing the the um, Skank, the why am I already blanking on his name? The bang, Bango Skank? Bango Skank, but we did it early, so I don't have anything there. There's no updates on the Stephen King adaptation except for that, I think we already talked about it, that it's going to start, the pilot starts filming, um, I think this month. So oh, wow. hopefully that means we're going to get some more casting news soon. And that's happening in Croatia. Um, I guess they're taking advantage of the old Game of Thrones sets, which is a great idea, especially for Gilead. And maybe Magus. Yeah, I could see. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so we don't have any listener feedback. We don't have any reviews this week. So this is a quick, quick show this time. Um, But we would love to hear from you. If you want to email us, you can do so at castofcaughtzombiegirls.com. Um, or you can hit us up on the Facebook. We love chatting with you guys over there. So definitely join our group, leave some fun stuff on the page. We'll go from there. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. All right, DJ, if they need some more of that sweet, sweet Rose talk, where can they find you on the internet? Um, I'm actually a little dry on the internet these days, but, uh, you can still find me, uh, sometimes at deadlander.com and one lone dork on YouTube. Uh, you can also find me, uh, at dslrfilmnoob.com. You can find me uh, on Facebook, I suppose, and occasionally on Twitter. Uh, One Lone Dork for the handles on both of those. And uh, uh, join the uh, Facebook page. And uh, we both follow that quite regularly and, yeah. and look for whatever you post. Um, honestly, guys, we love hearing from you. And it's a small community. So it, chances are, if you've made it this far to the podcast, you love what we love. And we will all get along pretty well. So yeah. you're welcome in the family. We love to hear from you. Uh, Rachel, where can people find you? Well, if you want to hear from me, you can find me on the Zombie Girls podcast. We just did an episode on Mother and uh, Black Swan. That was pretty grim in the best way possible. And we just recorded a like the entire Purge series. So if you want to hear me get political. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you do, <laughs> but if you do, you can. That's coming up soon. And then the Stream Queens, if you want no politics, head over to the Stream Queens if you just want to hear me and uh, Mars talk about horror movies that stream on Netflix. And if you want to hear about our worst kisses ever, that's how we start <laughs> off the show. Yeah, let me just say, oh, like Anaconda time? kiss. No, Anaconda don't do it. Kiss? If you have to detach your jaw to kiss me, you're doing it wrong. So... <laughs> So those are the two best places to find me. And then obviously you can always listen to the back episodes of the show. All right, DJ, take us out, my friend. Hey guys, one more thing before you go, a punk album that I wrote back in the uh, 1990s will be coming out eventually in the next month or so. And so I will post some information to that and maybe some MP3 links in the future. Uh, Do it in the group so people can find it easily. Yeah, absolutely. And that uh, has members from many of the podcasts that Dead Lantern has produced over the years. So 
that's the other thing I forgot to mention. But on that note, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, joining us, and we love to hear from you. So go subscribe, go check mark the boxes, and we will see you next time on another exciting episode of Cast of Con. Bye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> okay. Let's-